We ready to go. I know it's been a while since you've seen me upload anything or shoot anything, but to be honest with you, it's just been a trying time. I've had to remain patient once again because I made some wrong choices as far as the email addresses that I use. I got a Gmail and an iCloud, and some things don't even want to take an iCloud. They only take the Gmail. Podcasts will be in one of them. I do record my my episodes of, of my podcast with Podcastle because it truly is something simple, especially for somebody like myself that has never been tech savvy or has even hasn't even been around to be familiar with with the stuff that we have. But I had to get that situation because I had two different emails. I had the email for the Spotify and the email for the podcast, and they weren't matching. It was creating some confusion, and ultimately, I just went ahead and deleted my Spotify account and unified it with the Gmail address. And to be honest with you, all I can say is thank God it was only at the beginning because I would have hated for something to, to come down the line and, you know, as, as it is with everything else, you got your trials. I am just working at this thing and learning as I go. And I will continue to, to do what I can to make it happen. So you see the, the title is I went back to prison and we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But before that, I will say that it has been a week now, at least. No, it's been longer than a week that I've done anything. And, you know, fitting enough, it was at the right time because I have been so busy establishing my business and making sure that I make everything happen as far as that goes. And I was running short on time because I was going to Philadelphia. This is something that I had already planned for months now. So getting a new contract, it wasn't something that I was gonna let derail my, my plans. My first original plan was to go to Philadelphia in December. They have a conference twice a year for the Muslims in Philadelphia, where you have scholars coming in from all over the place, Muslims traveling from Georgia, from Cali, it doesn't matter. St. Louis, Kansas City, like myself, and everybody comes down, we touch down in Philadelphia. And I wanted to go in December, which would have been shortly after I was released from prison, but it just didn't happen because, you know, God had different plans for me. The snowstorm that came in December was huge. People died and everything. So I told myself, if the if I beat the snow, then I'm going to hit the road. If it's white outside by the time I get up, I'm not going. As you can imagine, I haven't driven. I hadn't driven at the time in 15 years. I was already paranoid a little bit driving just in the rain. I had to get used to it again. Not that they didn't know, didn't know how to do it, but I just had to get the feel for it. I got my license fairly quickly after being released, but 
it's uh, it's a different beast to, to drive around in the snow or the ice, sleep, and that sort of thing. I was not trying to put my life at risk or my family's life at risk trying to make it to the conference. So I waited on the summer conference and here it was. I had just got the contract, so I had to fulfill my obligations with that. And it was just something that I was not going to let derail my trip, so I didn't. Ultimately, I had to end up doing weeks worth of work, scrammed into like six days, seven days. So I had to choose the most important things to do and pretty much just do an overall job as far as just trying to get the thing looking right, you know, at least feeling clean. So this month I got, I got more time and I'm going to get down to business. So I, I went down to Philadelphia and it was a road trip. You know, they say you don't get to know people until you do business with them, live with them, or travel with them. And we was four deep, and it was it was an adventure. We had we had a great time though. Ultimately, the trip was was a great trip. I really enjoyed myself. Philadelphia was very similar to New York City. I haven't been to New York City in, in a long time now. It's about probably 20 years, 21 years. But, you know, when you go through certain things, you just don't forget the certain smells or just the feel, the hustle and bustle. And it was just nice being there because it took me back to to the beginning in, in, in a sense. And I found my Dominicans down there. I was with my brother. We going to the spots. You know, you got to get the, the the juices now. Everybody making the smoothies. Got to get the healthy joints. They had the, man, everything you could think about throwing in this thing was in this truck. They had the little blendy truck and, and it was a beautiful thing. With the Maxes. You can't go to Philadelphia and not get the Philly cheesesteak. The you know the people from Philly gonna tell you that Mexican is not the best. It's just the famous. But all I know is I I bashed it and it it was nice. It was nice. I ain't gonna lie though. I was a little salty because it was greasy as all get out. And as soon as I opened up this bag and drug out that sandwich. You know, I had to go for the foot long and foot long really like 16 inches. It's not 12, but I pulled this thing out. And as soon as I pull it out, it just threw grease all over my toe, my garment. I mean, just I had just bought it first day wearing it. And now it's got this nice fat stain on it. So I'll never forget the first time I had a true authentic Philly cheesesteak in Philadelphia. I will also add that my man's came through and it's just a beautiful thing because I'm telling you, it's it's a different feel whenever you go somewhere and you got everybody setting up shop, trying to sell something because they're getting their hustle on. They got the, the natural soaps over here. They got the oils. They got the thobes. They got this. They got that. They got the watches. They got the, the glasses. Oh, man. And, and you're not just buying it from just anybody because, see, in these cities, you got to do things to stand out from the crowd. 
So when the man comes through and he's selling some sunglasses, he's not just selling sunglasses. He might as well be moonwalking across this floor as he's holding the case with his thing. You know what I'm talking about? And then the lines that spit and then the way they try to get your attention and the way they try to get you to tie it on and they got the glass, they got the mirror right there for you to try. Hey, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I must say that I was sitting back. I was sitting back and he had already walked past me. And he was selling to the brother. <laughs> and I'm looking at him. I looked in my pocket. Everybody want cash. I'm going to just tell you that much. Everybody want cash if you ain't got it. You know, and, and you, some people might take cash out. But no, they don't want the act part on it. They just want the cash. And I'm telling you that I looked in my pocket. And if you ain't got cash, everybody got a got an ATM inside their shop. Just know that. The barbershop got the ATM. Max has got it. Everybody got it. They're going to tell you, I don't take cash. And you're going to be like, you know what? There's the ATM. They're going to do like this. And you know, it's a beautiful thing for them, obviously, because not only are they going to get the 30 for the haircut, but they're going to get the four on the, on the machine when you make the withdrawal. But that's neither here nor there. I looked in my pocket. I had enough cash to go ahead and get the matches and, and, and get the, the stunt glasses. So I waited on him to come back. He looked at me. And he's smooth. Not only is he smooth, but he's good at what he does. Because he had about 10 on each side of the case. And when I looked down, I seen a pair. And that's what I wanted to try on. And he had two, one black, one gold. And he just went right to him, picked them up. Oh, smooth the way he picked them glasses up, too. He said, man, the try on is free. I already knew I was going to buy. So I put them on. You know, I'm still looking for something that I didn't, that I didn't look good in. So I went on, took the glass, gave him his 20, and, and came back. I ain't got them no more because somebody hit me for him. But it was a beautiful thing. I was happy he took them. But that's Philly for you. And one regret I do have is the fact that I took this trip. It was a road trip. And myself, I'm sitting here trying to build this, this podcast and I'm trying to reach people. And in order to do that, you gotta utilize the means that you have as far as social media and the like. So I've had the opportunity to use certain things and I have used it, but I must say that I don't feel completely comfortable because I've never been somebody who's walked around with a camera, shooting myself or taking pictures of myself or anything like that. It's just never been my thing. See, my thing is people. And I can speak to a crowd better than I could probably speak to one. But when it comes to the camera, this has been a new, a new experience for me. And at the same time, I just don't even have somebody who's usually there to help me by recording. I'm not the type to walk around like the new age, always doing a selfie thing where you just, you know what I mean? So I had to, even just right now, I had to buy some to prop the camera in. So if you see my, my YouTube, Footage, you're gonna see that the camera is moving with me. Well, that's because they made it easy for me and, and affordable. But here we are. I'm, I'm deciding that I can't take another trip like that and not shoot the footage. So I've decided that from now on, if I'm going somewhere and I'm doing something, I'm gonna let the people in as best as I can and go ahead and record some things so that the people can see how I move on a day to day basis. And also experience some of these things that I'm experiencing for the first time in so many, so many years. And sometimes, you know, first time in my life.
I got a trip coming up soon, and it's going to be some nice footage coming from that. I'm, that's all I'm going to say right now about it. But you will hear about it, and hopefully you're going to see some things. So the episode itself is called I Went Back to Prison. And obviously, that's not the case because I'm sitting right here. Thankfully, I came out with a por- without parole, so I don't have the answer to them. But the truth is, I went to prison not once, but twice in the last three days. And I must say that it has been an experience in and of itself that tested me in so many ways. See, when you spend so much time around these people and you're on the other side, you get used to certain things and it's always the same from them. They're pretty consistent on making sure that you're never comfortable and you never <laughs> you never get what you got coming. So why did I go back? I went back because there's only two people that I know of in my family that have been in prison. Myself and my little cousin, which I won't say his name right now, but my little cousin has been in prison for some years now. When I got incarcerated, he was only nine years old and I was 24. So we weren't really around each other. We was in two different crowds, two different age groups. Nevertheless, he's blood. And me knowing the struggle, how it is, I had to go see him. Not only because he's family, but only because, also because I want to support him. Because I know what that support means to an individual that's in his situation. On top of that, the federal system will move you from place to place if they so feel. You are usually never close to home unless you're fortunate. As far as he goes, he's not close to home at all. It's always a job, a big ordeal just to go see him for anybody. And thankfully, he's got some people that support him, just like I did. But it's never enough. I was going up to Philadelphia. He just happened to be in the same state. Big state, so I had to take a nice little drive. But I was already in road mode. So I drove up there to see him. And obviously, obviously, it's so different to actually drive up to a prison. Something I had never done before. Outside of being shackled and being transferred. So I drive up here, not knowing what to expect. I was a state that's federal. So I go in and they never make it easy on you. And the rules that they have are always extra, you know? Like, adults can't wear shorts. You can't bring a wallet in here. As long as we know, that's to be expected. But I had to go back and forth to the car. First thing was no shorts. First, then, then I had the wallet. They want my ID, but not the wallet. You, know, oh man! And just talking to him, I'm expecting him to treat me a certain way. 
because I'm in in some ways programmed when it comes to these these COs and these police officers. And it never came. The man kept a smile, even apologized for sending me back to the car. Told me, hey, I'm not trying to be an a-hole. I'm just trying to, I'm doing my job. I, you know, I should I should have told you. And I appreciated it. And it kind of helped me out a little bit. But I will say that when I had to take my shoes off to put them in the metal detector, that was another another time to where it was like, oh man, here we go again. But everything went smoothly. It took me a while to go in there and see him because the, the checking in process is different and the state is pretty straightforward. We never have our visitors actually come in all the way to the prison and the federal system is different. You actually have somebody escort you into the visiting area at this particular facility and it is through the yard. Like you literally walk in, inside the prison. So you have to have an escort. Therefore you had to wait longer so that they had enough people to try to, to take to the other side. And this time I got to, to see people, different types of people who were all coming to see their loved ones. I got to see a mother with her children. I got to see a sister. I got to see a friend. These were all people that were doing the same thing that my people did for me. My wife had to sit in these visiting rooms hundreds, hundreds of times with my daughters. And the process that she had to go through and the drive up there. And there was times where I was also two, two hours and some change away, at least always an hour away. And the way she beat that highway up for me, the same way I did for my cousin, but I only did it once. The people I met in there have done it repeatedly, like my people did for me. And it gave me a different level of appreciation. Not that, I was, not that I haven't been thankful over all these years and not that I didn't understand the sacrifice that they have been making for me, for our love. It's just that when you get to see it firsthand and experience it in the way that they did, it gives you a different level. I sat next door to right next to a, a sister who said she visited she visits her her brother at least every other week and she has to drive two and a half hours. Young woman who could probably be doing so many things with her time. But the fact that she is doing that for her brother just speaks volumes. And I don't have her name, but we don't need it because it's not just about her. It's about the many people that do do that for their loved ones. And I just want to take a, a few minutes to elaborate on that and to also 
thank the people that are doing that for their family members. And if you know somebody who's doing time and you are able to go see them, to give them that hug on the way in and the way out, to break bread with them a little bit, to tell them you love them, to smile at them, to give them compassion, to give them something that they're not getting on a day-to-day -day basis because they're in an environment that does not facilitate that whatsoever. Then take that time and do it. Don't do it because they were the best to you when they were out here because many times we was out there tripping in these streets, engaging in activities that obviously led to prison sentences, so they couldn't have been all good. But it doesn't matter because inside of everybody, there is some good. And you never know what the person is going through and what God has showed these, these brothers, these individuals during the time that they've been incarcerated. And if you ever had love for them on any level, then go see them and say that to them or say that to her. You need to, because I'm going to tell you something. It ain't just going to help them, but it's going to help you because nothing comes out of good, but good. And the reward that we get for doing these things sincerely, only seeking God's pleasure will never be mentioned. And I'm telling you that they need you. They need you because sometimes that's the only thing that's going to keep them grounded and making right, right decisions in there. And I'm not saying because they are not ready to make change. I'm saying because the opportunities to wild out in a place that's full of mostly wild people is many. And I remember the times that I was ready to do whatever and put in work on anybody that disrespected me, whether it be God, caseworker, it don't matter because I'm going to tell you that the people that are in prison, they are still human beings, but are being treated less than dogs. And I don't mean that figuratively. I mean that literally, because when they brought the dogs in and they had this Puppies for parole program, when they brought that and put that in place, them dogs was getting things that we would have never thought about getting. Even through the pandemic, we weren't getting proper cleaning supplies, but guess what? The dog, the dog handlers was getting bleach. We weren't getting real toothbrushes, but guess what? The dogs were getting it. We weren't getting medical attention, but guess what? Dogs was going out for ACL surgeries, and I never got mine. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So you give him that compassion. You give him that because it might come a time for him to wild out. But guess what? He's going to say, nah, I got a visit. I know specifically me once I was getting getting ready to go upside a sergeant's head because he got up in my face, was yelling at me and actually threatened me. And I'm going to tell you something that I've always known my rights since the age of 15 because of some of the things that I went through. And I knew two things. He can't threaten me and he can't get up in my face. Then I've always had a rule that if you get within arm's length of me in a threatening manner, I'm going to swing first and ask questions later. 
And some of the people that have been on the receiving end of that know how I get down. But all I'm saying is when you give them that compassion, I remember being ready to go upside this man's head and thinking how through the pandemic, I went two years without a visit and my mom was coming in, flying in from the Dominican Republic. And this was on November 5th, she was going to be there. And I was going to go upside his head October 31st. And when he pulled up on me, the first thing I thought about was my mother and the visits and the phone calls. And I said, I can't, I can't lose that. I can't allow my mother to come out here and not be able to see me, not be able to give me a hug. So all I'm saying is that it could be the difference. It could be the difference. But what you're going to feel when you sit across from them is also joy. I got to see my cousin. Never really known him. Except for what I've heard about him. And I was cool. I kept it together. But I will say that when I was waiting for him inside that room, I got emotional. I got emotional because I was sitting there and I was wondering what was taking him so long. And then I got to thinking about all the things that could be happening and just what he has to go through just to get in that room. The way that you have to be disrespected and degraded every single time, even if they have an x-ray machine, they still going to tell you to take off your clothes, to squat, to cough, to spread, to this, to that. And it hurt me just to know that little dude is going through that. He came in, gave him a hug, strong little young man. Looks like the family too, man. He wanted me, he wanted us, he wanted mine, little meal. And I spent, it could have never been enough, enough time. But I spent about 45 to an hour with him. And it took me 45 to get in. People waiting for me in the car. Because I wasn't the only one on the road trip. But he looked good. And when I left there, I was happy. I was happy because I felt the same thing that many people said they felt when they saw me. I had an auntie that suffered from depression and she said that she would never come see me because what it would do to her. Due to certain circumstances we was going through, she felt like she had to be the one to bring my daughters up there because at the time my wife couldn't. So she started coming up there and ultimately she said it was therapeutic to her to come up there and see me. And I felt good leaving there because not only did he look good, not only was he intact, not only is he smart, not only does he got his head on his shoulders, but he's ready for the come up. He's ready for the comeback. And I know what that feeling is like. And God willing, I'll be out here to be able to help him with whatever he needs to do. And until then, Still won't be there for him.
That was the first time I went to prison in the last three days. The beautiful thing about the second time is I didn't have to go all the way in. I just had to pull up. I had to pull up. Recently, I had a brother hit me up. He said, man, you know how it is, man. We got the catered event. We get one catered event per religious group a year in Missouri State Prison. A lot of times it's a, a, diff, a difficult matter to tackle for the Muslims because they don't have the same type of support coming in as everybody else, meaning the Christians or the Catholics. You know, there's always people that's coming in and helping and facilitating their, their situations, but it has always not been the case for the Muslims. So now that I'm out here and I, and I understand what they're going through, a brother hit me up. He said, yo, we need you for the catered event. See if the masjid that you go to, the mosque, that's a masjid. See if they can facilitate for us the, the meal and, and just go ahead and shoot it up here to us. So right away, I hollered at the brothers. The brothers was like, man, that sounds like a great thing. Everybody left. Long story short, we got to have somebody take it up there. And this just happens to be the same place that I was just released from almost eight months ago. And I had to deal with the same individual that I had to file paperwork against on numerous occasions because of his treatment towards us and the things that we was denied. And they dropped the ball a lot of times, whether it was related to fasting during Ramadan or services or scheduling, punctuality, all these things. So I felt it was my, my duty to go ahead and file this paperwork. And <laughs> up until I showed up, he didn't know it was me. He had called me, and as soon as I heard his voice, I knew who it was. I said, yeah, this him. He's not knowing it's me. Muhammad is a very common name. Is what the brothers have always called me at, at that facility. And he tells me, look, I, I got, they told me, they gave me this number and they want to know if you guys would donate some food to the, to the Muslims here for the banquet. I said, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. And he calls me back. He says, he tells me how many people it is. And then today I'm working. So I get back to work and I'm trying to get caught up and I'm trying to get things tightened up. And I get a phone call. I'm like, oh man, I'm busy. I almost don't pick it up, but something about not picking up the, the calls from, from the brother that's locked up, I just I just don't like that. So I pick it up, you know, and I'm getting ready to tell him I'm busy. So he, we get to chit-chatting a little bit, and then I look at the date, and I see it's the fifth, and I was like, oh man, what is today, isn't it? He said, yes. And he hadn't called me to remind me before then. So I had to scramble. We had to ditch the, the plans that we had for as far as the spread that we was going to take up there, the rice combo meat. You know, we were trying to do them just like we get it out here. And God always has his own plans, and he is the best of plans. So I said, look, I can't do what I was going to do before, but I can probably get y'all in there on some halal pizza with all the, the, all the toppings. The meats is halal, so we good to go. I can do that. I can do the little drinks and stuff. What you think about that? Me knowing how it is, I'm like, yo, I know they're going to be happy about this. 
So he said, nah, man, come on, man. If that don't even bother trying to find nothing else, just go ahead and make that happen. If you think you can lock that in. So I called Bam right away, that that is gets taken care of. The the pickup gets scheduled, the delivery gets scheduled, and I just happen to be pulling up. And I'm taking this drive now. See, this is a drive that my wife took for four straight years on a weekly basis. I had too many boxes to carry with the pies and the pizzas, the the 12 packs, all this, right? So I had to bring somebody with me. So naturally, my wife, you know, coming home from work around the same time, it worked out just just fine. And I knew that she wouldn't have a problem doing it. So I, you know, hit her up, set it up, and we had to take this drive. And we drove. And she just looked at me and said, yo, it's so weird. It's so different riding up here, taking this drive with you and going back to this place. And we did. It was about an hour, hour and 10 minutes. We had everything. And, you know, we was just kind of catching up and discussing just how far we've come. And how, how far we've come just recently, even, you know, and, and just the cohesiveness that we have and being able to just flow with each other and understand now just everything, even the little the little details that, that might make for a little friction here and there. And since coming home, we've been separated for short periods of time days at a time you would say and every single time we're apart we come back we appreciate it that much more and it's crazy that it would even be like that considering that we were separate separated for 15 years but the mind and the human being is so forgetful that you go through certain things and then once it's over it's like you never done it and we always have the scars to prove these battles and these trials, but the mind will forget. But every single time we've come back together, and most recent right now, when I went to Philly, it's just, it's just awesome. <laughs> you know, it's just awesome. That's the only way I can put it. So I take this food and I pull up Got a couple sergeants out there that I recognize and that I'm sure recognize me as well. And the, the chaplain stands up and pulls up to the car and I just jump out, say, how you doing, chaplain? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. He says, I thought you went to Florida. <laughs> That's all he said. I said, yeah, I went, but I came back. They take it to a trip to Florida, but that was it. Wasn't nothing else said. I signed, handed him the stuff, and a part of me wanted to say some things, but the person that I am today refuses to dwell on the past on a negative level. I'm not a person who likes to gloat. I'm not a person who 
likes to argue. I don't even like to speak. A lot of times it's not necessary. So I let it go. I thanked him, signed the paperwork, went about my way. And I can honestly say that the way that my life has turned out in these last eight months since being released, I couldn't have scripted it any better. The gains I've been able to make, the things I've been able to, to hatch out inside of myself, the emotions that I had bottled up over so many years. You know, in the movie Central Intelligence, there's a scene where The Rock says, I took all those bad emotions and all those people and everything that they did to me and I bottled it up real deep inside of me. And Kevin Hart said, that don't sound healthy or something like that, right? That's pretty much what it is when you locked up. That's pretty much what it is. And you go through so much that you don't know where you're going to be emotionally until you actually out here and you with the people. And PTSD is not just for some people. It's for a lot of people that go through certain things. And I know a lot of people who are institutionalized and who have had trouble even years after being out of prison, dealing with people and just dealing with, with emotions. And I'm just thankful that I've been surrounded by people who have supported me on a level that have let me know that no matter what I'm going through, they're going to love me. And no matter what I'm going through and how I'm feeling, they're going to be there for me. And if you know somebody that is going through something, be there for them. Be there for them. There's so much more to go, God willing. Only thing promises death. I'm excited though, because I'm back on track with my Spotify. Now we gotta get it on Apple and we gotta do some more things. If you haven't already, check me out. All Things 100 Podcast on YouTube. That's at Pujols for Real 24.7, no spaces. Look me up. We're going to have things coming out your way more frequently. God willing, we're going to be doing more lives. We're going to be doing more shorts, more reels. And we're going to keep it real because that's what we do. If you ain't jumped on board yet, you need to because this thing going to be smoking here in a minute. Alhamdulillah. <laughs>